The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Well, good day and welcome to another edition of Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. And on this week's program, Edward takes a look at electoral politics with a special guest. Edward? Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, Today, our special guest is Peter Hernandez, who's running for Congress here in California in District 18. Currently, Peter is a county supervisor over in San Benito County and has been doing that for a number of years, right? This is my fourth year. Fourth year, yeah. And what's interesting, and one of the reasons why I'm very happy to have him here on board with us, is he's very passionate about representing the local people as well as enriching the local communities. And basically, Peter is opposed to government serving and enriching itself. So the focus of the government should be to serve the people and not serve themselves. Now, recently, during the pandemic shutdowns, Peter stood literally against the outreaches, overreaches of the state, and he believes that local communities should decide for themselves how to best care for and protect their citizens. As county supervisor, Peter worked to keep businesses open, knowing how vital they are to the health of the local economy and thus the people that live there. Peter is a first-generation Mexican-American. He was born and raised in San Benito County, and that's in California. Peter grew up as in an ag-centric community. His parents worked in the fields. His parents also instilled in him a strong work ethic and a deep respect for the American dream. And as a small business owner today, Peter does understand firsthand the dedication and creativity required for a small business to thrive. And the small business is the backbone of a community. But the reality for the Hispanic community today is that schools are failing their children. Unions are robbing them blind. The leftist party is taxing them to death. Individuals have become addicted to government entitlements, which in real real life, these are not benefits. They actually are almost like slavery. The Hispanic community and all communities in our area are suffering from gang violence, drugs, drugs that kill the fentanyls, the cartels, the reach of the cartels is crossed over our southern border. And the reality is that many Hispanic uh, families left their home countries to escape that. So right now, I'd like to introduce my special guest, Peter Hernandez. Welcome. Thank you, Edward. That was a, a really well thought out, and I appreciate the sentiments. Yes, I'm definitely really passionate about this district. It's funny because it makes me think about when we actually received the maps when they first were released, Yeah, and uh, there was a lot of talk amongst uh, the locals, basically Samuel County Supervisors, uh, Monterey County Supervisors did a press conference. We had basically a, a, a sentiment against the current maps because we were worried about the the issue of representation. Yeah. Fast forward, they did map. They did adopt those maps, and now we have a new district which encompasses Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. the southern part of the Silicon southern part of Silicon yeah. Valley. Yeah. So it's a big, broad area. And what's interesting about it, if you just look at the demographics, it represents 
a diversity because, you know, it goes down through the Gilroy and Morgan Hill, right? And goes down right. into San Benito County. It's and a, almost part of Northern Salinas area. So it actually keeps going farther down, everything off the 101 uh, past Salinas, King City, Soledad, Greenfield, everything in between. Uh, and uh, you also have parts of San Ardo and Lake, Lake Nacimiento area. So, oh, that's great. So it's a very big district. So <clears throat> let's get into kind of the heart of our interview. Now, I wanted to start out with asking you, what are the values of the Hispanic community? And in essence, what is important to them? What are, what are their needs and their issues? So I think overall, the broad issue is representation. I, I'm born and raised, obviously, as a Latino. I've been taught by my parents to, to never expect anything and to work for it. For, for what I do receive. Mm -hmm. So it's inconsistent with definitely the leftist progressive mindset. You know, we believe in our faith. Bottom line is we believe in our family and we believe in on individuality. I think those are key elements of the Latino sentiment. And we ultimately want to be able to know that we have the the ability to manage our own lives. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things, it's, un, you know, obviously when you're, when you're growing in a minority community, lower income, um, it's just assumed that we like entitlements. The mm -hmm. reality is, is, you know, most folks, if they do take them, it's more like, okay, well, the hope is always temporary, right? Yeah. Uh, the hard part is, is it creates a culture and a lifestyle that starts to become more long-term. Mm -hmm. But I still see my Latino community not wanting to necessarily just go that way. They're, they're actually pretty hungry for, um, for making sure that they, they still have an opportunity. It's funny because I've met plenty of, and I have friends that they're, all of our parents worked the field. My mom worked the field yep. for 30 years. And I have friends that went to college and went to university. Mm -hmm. my, my own brothers, I have, I have uh, four brothers, basically, all agree that we, we, you know, we don't want to have to just depend on uh, working the fields. All the, you know, we want to be able to advance beyond that. And, and eventually, and so I started my own business. Uh, my brothers, one of them works for Apple, Cisco Systems, you mm -hmm. name it. So mm -hmm. bottom line, it says, we see it as as a as a pass through opportunity, and we're yeah. really grateful for it. I mean, it by default because it's a part of this district. The agricultural element is part of our history, also, so we're sure. proud of that. Mm -hmm. We love the fact that we work hard. We want to empower individuals, but I think the missing link is education. Is really engaging with the Latino community. I've actually just was in front of a big representative body in the Salinas region that was very frustrated with what was happening from the state with the homeless situation. Mm -hmm. Long and short. They were hungry for representation. My goal was to educate them on the civics process, talk about transparency, and ultimately respecting the will of the majority. And they loved that. They, mm -hmm. they couldn't believe there was someone talking to them that actually mentioned those things. And I did mention the authority that I have is only equal to the consent that you give me, meaning the consent of the governor is what the Constitution declares. By default, that means you have the authority. You, you as the majority, tell me as your representative what you want, and it's my job to make sure, right, that you get it. And ultimately, right, that means I'm going to have to work hard and lobby. But just the same, they should know that their voice is valued. So when you talk about the values of the Latino community, we want to know that our voice actually matters, and that ultimately the the decisions that are made are consistent with the intent mm -hmm. or the 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 sentiments of the Latino community. Yeah, and and there's. Out of your district, what would you say is the demographics in terms of percentages? Do you have an idea of what those might be? As far as the... the so, percentage of Latinos, white, so forth it's, like that. It's 65% roughly Latino, the district. Yes. And everything else is everything in between. Um, 
Caucasian, you know, you have a so, percentage of Asian, Vietnamese, Korean, um, yeah, everything in between. Yeah, well, we are a, a blended community mm-hmm. in, in regards to the, what's very interesting is the, the needs of the Latinos are, in, are no different than the needs for the whites. Right. Because when you mention the word education, the lack of education or the poor quality education that is being provided for in the public schools, whether it's Hollister or Salinas or Gilroy or King City and so forth, is damaging to all communities. Right. And so there are many issues. Now, let's just cover some of the specifics. Now, with Hispanic or Latino voters... How, what is their thought process? Are they concerned about the economy? Uh, I'm sure they are, but what, what is your take? Because you're out there with. Yeah, so they, the average Latino or individual from the district wants to know that they could just go to work and, and bring home, you know, the, the ability their paycheck. to feed their children, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, to take care of their bills. So, yes, they, they, they care very much about the economy. They don't understand the the reasons why these things are changing, right? What is the sentiment of supposedly pushing for a green movement that shuts off any kind of prudent process that makes sure that you still have a base load where your grid is being, you know, it has enough uh, energy in it, right? So that the capacity is there and the consumption of the of the community is is still being able to be managed by a grid that has sufficient energy, sure. right? So there's all these, there's basically, there's those, the complicated things that we talk about through policy and process and with, let you know, attorneys, and, and, you know, environmental elements and the impacts in between, that's just most folks don't go that deep mm-hmm. um, because they have their lives. That's why they elect us. It's our job to make right. sure we do a homework. But the missing link, again, is that we actually take that information and I'm not saying overwhelm them with it, but definitely educate them as far as why policies are happening and why they're impacting them. And that's just not happening. So the average people just want to make sure that they have the ability to be successful. Opportunity, I would say, is the key component of the Latino community. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about my parents, when I think about my family, we believe that work is, there's dignity in work. Mm-hmm. We believe that when we work hard, that we earn something. And when yeah. we earn something, there's a sense of empowerment, encourages, and lets us know that we actually are showing value in the people that we love, our, our kids and our wife and, and our family by obviously providing. That's the missing link that's breaking our community is the opportunity, but that's happening because of this switch that is basically increasing government size, scope, authority, entitlements, and decreasing opportunity. Right. Well, you know, I was talking about economy, and one of the numbers that I saw today is for the average family, the average individual, the impact of the change of politics that occurred two years ago and the inflation that comes from those laws and things that they're doing is costing a family $771 additional dollars to buy the same gas, to buy the same food, to pay the same PG&E or utility bill. And that translates to almost $9,000 a year out of their pocket. So they're getting less it's costing them more and the interesting thing is the elites who are doing all of this it doesn't matter to them that the cost of gas goes to seven dollars a gallon or their desired ten dollars a gallon because they have that families in our demographics the economic stratus is they don't have that i was living in mexico 
and the um, the gas stations are are run by the fe- the federal government in Mexico. And there was one weekend I was there where they raised the price, and I'm going to translate it to American dollars, one dollar a gallon. The impact on taxi drivers, delivery people, uh, service-oriented people was incredible because a dollar represented a limiting factor of not being able to go to work, not being able to do their jobs. And it just translated like a domino into every facet of the economy. Now, fortunately, there was such an upheaval that these the population spoke up that the Mexican government reduced that dollar back to its original price. Now, that's amazing if you compare it to what we're seeing here in America, that the current people that are elected are not listening and not responding to the outcries and the and the injury that they're causing for our communities, whether it's lighter skinned white or or every other color, we're all directly impacted. And the elites who are doing all of this, they're not impacted by it at all. Yeah, it's funny how there was a big power shift through the shutdowns, mm-hmm. and you saw it right. Everything went online. There was a lot more uh, uh, re- online retailers, Amazon, yeah. Google, uh, profiting from. The bottom line is the average person became poorer and poorer. And you mm-hmm. think about policy as they've increased, they've decreased the opportunity and the expendable income of the individual. Yeah. Right. So, and if you think about the margins that people live by today, it's really, really hard. If you, even if you get a 3% raise, if you have an 8% increase in inflation, or now it's, you know, probably closer to 20 when it comes to actual numbers, real numbers, yeah, yeah. then the reality is, is you're actually a 3% raise does nothing. Uh, because it's still fighting a, a curve of of costs that you can't you can't just manage in your well, daily. Costs. And in addition, there are situations where those raises just take you into a higher tax bracket, so you're taxed more on top of it. Correct. So you could, in essence, end up with a smaller net paycheck, hundred percent after your raise, and then the buying power of that is significantly impacted. Yeah. So I don't believe that last month was a zero inflation number. Like and neither I, <laughs> do I. And I would say the average, here's the thing that I think is missing also is the average Latino understands or resident of the district. They're smarter than the government gives them credit. Absolutely. For. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, the, 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 to me, I think there has to be a place in time where elected officials start considering the individuals, the residents of their districts as opportunity and, and, and uh, of empowerment, right? If there was a way to increase into, to empower individuals to be, to uh, uh, grow their, their wealth, to be able to develop a lifestyle that would also be able to translate into an opportunity for their children to become educated mm-hmm. and create further opportunities, right? Everybody would be better for it. Oh, of course. But there is a way that they can do that. Now, I've been around for quite some time. And what I'm seeing is that there has been a historical election after election after election where the radical party just assumes that Hispanics are all going to vote for them. 100%. And, and in essence, sadly, the Hispanics do. And they're not doing it with knowledge of the impact of what their vote does. Because if you want to look at a problem with the economy, 
it didn't happen two years ago. It's all happened unstopped in the last two years. That hurts every family that I know. What they don't know is that this demise of the educational process, which leads to better jobs, better careers, healthier families, has been undermined it for many years now. And the direct impact is is not on the elites, because then they can go to private schools and fancy colleges, but it's the state colleges, it's the junior colleges, community colleges, it's the high schools, the middle schools, the elementary schools that have a direct impact on your community and my community. And yet, they just continue to be blindsided and not understand that the votes that there are have been casting is what's led to the demise of the family. That's right. That's right. How do we educate them? So, um, well, there's two components, right? There's definitely the engagement. That means that we have to do a better job of engaging our district, talking to our voters, letting them know how the process functions, Mm -hmm. helping to understand what it means to be civically engaged. I think that's really important because ultimately when there's the bottom up pressure for these, you know, it's, it's very empowering to me and encouraging I would imagine it would be alarming and maybe a little scary for an individual who doesn't want that level of transparency, right? And I'm not trying to just be cynical, but in, in general, if you think about it, it's very, you know, when you have an, a term called the Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. that actually creates inflation, then obviously they're expecting the public to really not pay attention to truly understand right. that policy. My point is, is the engagement is really important for the sake of clarity and uh, and the elected official needs to push Right, the public servant needs to push to make sure that there's metrics within the bill. Right, there's clarity, there's accountability, and there's measurable elements. If anything, I've learned as a county supervisor is you get agendas that are full of stuff. They're very long, sometimes pretty long-winded and redundant. There's terms that are very ambiguous. Attorneys a lot of times help with writing this language, and then you end up having nothing measurable. Right, we're saying we're going to solve homelessness. But in reality, the more money we spend in California, I'm just using it as an mm-hmm. example, the more money we spend in California on homelessness, the more homelessness we actually have. Maybe, just maybe, there's this sense that if you actually create uh, a program, the, the individuals, the, the system doesn't want to shrink back because if that actually solves the problem, it might end up losing its job in the future. Uh, and that's that's a sad reality. There needs to be metrics that require that this program be a termed program restricted to success, ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, the change of the Constitution restricting the, the, these programs to make sure that you actually have the outcomes that you intended according to the funding streams. Right. And all of that is very valid. Mm-hmm. And what you're getting at is is the truth. My thought and, and my concerns, the reason why I have this school over in Salinas where we work very hard at educating job skills to help elevate the community. Because I would say 80, 90% of the people that walk through my door are Hispanic. Just the nature of where where we are. What I find is that many, many people don't have the sophistication of language to understand the width and breadth of the rhetoric or the conversations that come out of politicians. I'm not speaking to you. I'm just speaking as a general whole. And what I see people need to hear is it boiled down to the impact 
in their lives. Someone should say the reason why the gas prices are extremely high is because this person or these people did this. And try to remember that two years ago, the prices were 279 or three and a quarter or something. The reason why the food prices are so high and the reason why the supply chain is such a mess right now is because of what the unions did down in Long Beach, up in Seattle. What they did is they constricted or they shut down the ports. The union did. Mm. At the direction of who? Well, it, it wasn't Trump and it wasn't the current administration. It wasn't you and me. It it was a political play to accomplish something that they were that was in their long range game plan. Yeah. And we as a community need to be educated in a fashion that we understand. How does it impact my my children? How does it impact my ability to keep a job, go to a job? How am I going to be able to find a better career, a better life? With the career training programs that we did for a number of years until the the state and county government literally defunded all of that, it was taking people out of the fields and giving them real career jobs that they were proud of. I saw it over 550 times. 100%. And it it was a delight to me because it was my give back to the community. And I can see the reason why I have you on my show is because I see you have a passion to give back to your community. And I, I want your community to know this and to hear your voice. 100%. I, I believe, uh, you know, if you think about the majority of the district being Latino, we're very entrepreneurial in spirit, right? Yes, you are. We want to be business starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we technically at that point want to be innovative, right? We want to be able to manage what it means to, uh, to manage what it means to run a business. Yeah. And, uh, and that means that we have to, by default, that means we are going to be the most successful at managing uh, recessionary cycles or mm-hmm. anything having to do with inflation. Um, so that means, yes, there has to be a, a process for ultimately uh, opportunities, maybe even vocational type opportunities, just brass tax, business, yep. pl- business industry level, right? And, and, and when it comes down to infrastructure type jobs, right? People that aren't just working as electricians and plumbers, which I love and I think can be very successful, but also those that start businesses that have teams of plumbers and that have teams. Right. So I think there's a huge opportunity for that. Um, you know, to a certain extent, that is almost making an argument for bringing back industry and trade and and creating a, an educational system that starts to empower vocational those, training. Yeah, yeah, and that starts to empower those vocational training opportunities. And I believe the Latino community will become, uh, the, uh, you know, eventually white collar, blue collar type biz- business owners because you you're going to have so much. Um, folks that are starting to reinvigorate the economy, that the success is just going to permeate through those communities. And actually, there are quite a few of those already, Hispanically owned businesses. Now, you know, it's part of the reason, again, I'm thinking brass tax is the reason why at Alliance Career Training, they have an accounting fundamentals class is because it's great to have the energy and the labor and the skill to do the job, but you need to know how to run the finances for it to be successful. And that's the simplicity of what I feel that our government representatives need to do is they need to speak to the people in a way that they can understand in their words. 
And um, I know that you're a big part of it. Now, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit from the economy and and talk about kind of a delicate subject, and that is regarding the southern border. Um, and again, I had mentioned to you off the air that I grew up in a an ag Hispanic community, lived in Mexico in the Dominican Republic. I I feel like I'm a part of it, even though I'm the wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, <clears throat> what is the feeling? Because the people I knew in the '60s, the families that I knew. You know, there would be three generations. There would be the the young ones that were my age that were English speaking because the parents said you need to learn how to speak English. Then they had the grandmom who was in the garage cooking over an open fire, and it, it was just families that were looking for a way to improve the opportunity for their children and the next generation. Right? The southern border is a controversial issue that is being politically played at both ends. I can see that for sure. So let's get back to where the people feel about the Southern border. What's, what's the standard or what's, what do you hear? When I speak to my constituents, my residents, they, you know, the, the the Latino community, we care about. So even just in in simpler terms, we care about, managing our lives in a way that that uh that isn't impacted negatively by those from from outside of uh you know basically if you live in a home you want to control that environment in that home and the same thing in our communities right you don't want uh anything coming into this community that's going to damage the community right yeah. so maybe that's a simplified way of putting it no. but when it comes down to the latino community and the borders the borders especially those uh latinos that live close to the border if you look at Ovalde, Texas area, uh, you know, Arizona, El Paso, you Mm -hmm. have El Paso is a Mm -hmm. perfect example. You have Latinos that, yes, we, we want Latinos to come into this country. That's who we are. It's part of our culture, Mm -hmm. but we, we believe in a process. We've always believed in a process. If you're going to enter my home, I want to know who you are. I want to make sure that you're, that you're, you're, you know, even if you're here because you need help, I want to help you, yeah. but I want to make sure that I know that you have good intentions, right? right? No one has, there's a reason why we have fences around our home because it defines the sovereignty of our home. Mm-hmm. Just the same we have a fence that's considered the border, it defines the sovereignty of this nation. And I think if you think about within the, even, even the culture of the Latino community, we're so familial. We love mm-hmm. the family element, right? We love our family. We love our, 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 our tios, our, our uh, moms, you know, yeah. our, so you have this sentiment where we want to have that shared unity. How do you have that if you don't have a shared language, if you don't have a shared common interest of preserving the very nation? If you have success in the nation that you live, I don't see any Latino arguing against that success by saying, everybody can come in, do whatever you want. There are no rules, right? Mm-hmm. Open borders, right, is by default contrary to anybody's individual respect, right? Sense of self-sovereignty, sense of yeah. peace and control, so at the end of the day, the Latinos, they we want more Latinos to come into this nation, mm-hmm. but no one argues against the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's created ambiguity. Now, actually, we're, we're starting to see a heightened sentiment of Latinos very frustrated with an open borders policy because now it's not even just about the conversation. Hey, we don't want to allow you know individuals or, to come into our country. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually 
We're seeing fentanyl come across the border. Right. We're seeing drug trafficking, human trafficking. We're seeing modern day slavery, right? Women getting raped at the border. They're finding yeah. just disgusting things at the border, mm-hmm. destroying our waterways, right? Because they're doing these things. They're bringing these drugs. At, you know, at the end of the day, that's chaos. That's an anarchist type society that's endorsed by this administration. It's encouraging it. Otherwise, you can't say that. That would be akin to your neighbor saying, I don't, you know, I don't believe in, in the destruction of my home, but I tore down my fence and I said, everybody can come in, right? No one would do that. Right. But that's basically what this administration is doing with our borders. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because one of the things that I've learned over the years, both living in Mexico as well as living in, you know, agricultural based communities, which was there are families that leave sections of Mexico that are overrun by the cartel. They feel endangered. They have family members that are getting killed. They have family members who are getting drawn into that cartel-based economics. So they escape that to come to America for the opportunity, the education, and the safety. So what I'm hearing at the same time, because I'm in the middle of the Hispanic community, they say they want strong borders because they want to be protected from what they escaped. That's right. And I don't think that people understand how dangerous or destructive that situation is south of our border and that there are many, many absolutely good, valuable people that come into our country. What they don't want, what I don't want, what I hear you say we don't want is the nefarious, dangerous, what we've tried to escape. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's. I've grown up going to Mexico every year with my family, sometimes in the summer, would mm-hmm. go in the Christmas time during the posadas, which is basically our Christmas season Yeah, I know holidays. what it is. Mm-hmm. Beautiful times, and it was sad seeing a slow degradation in certain cities and the small pueblos in the areas where yeah. the cartels can run things. You know, there was people that would stay away from those regions, right? You had even certain laws like uh, the the NAFTA, right? The Na- mm-hmm. uh, North American Free Trade Agreement that was supposedly to create a common good, but in reality became a haven for abuse because you end up having, you know, the, the the ladies from the pueblos coming down into the, the manufacturing and, and they find themselves getting a job, but possibly getting raped and, if, and not even murdered. There was, a, I forgot the term, but in El Paso, my wife actually, she's from there. Mm-hmm. She showed me the, the hill with crosses, mm-hmm. which is the ladies that have been murdered basically because of all of the chaos that the cartels were doing and running. So there's all these issues because it's a vacuum that's created that has no sense of order. That's what a border is. It creates order. It's a process. Right. It by default creates a sense of stability and it's, and it creates rules that says you bad guys have no authority here. And we're officially making sure that you, you, you understand that we're going to restore order to this region that's what, by default, where there's nothing but been an, uh, an encouragement for disorder with this current administration. All right. So what we need to do is we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. You're listening to Business Sense Radio and my special guest, Peter Hernandez. We'll be right back. You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering, yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence 
and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753-7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at AllianceTrains.com. Okay, we're back. We've got Peter Hernandez here, and we just finished having a nice, long-winded conversation about the southern border. And, you know, it's very interesting that you you can't just put everybody into one big basket and think this is the way they are. The, the reality about the Hispanic community is, you know, they come from different countries. They have different l- local um, you know, understandings, logistics. It's a matter that individuals are individuals. It doesn't matter if they just came from Mexico or they came from uh, Central America or whatever. They're people. They're just literally people. And and the vast majority of them, they want what America in its heyday has to offer. Freedom of choice, good education, job opportunity, safety. You know, an economics that's that's consistent, you know, without cuckoo inflation. I mean, I've watched Argentina go through, you know, thousand percent inflation. Of course, Venezuela is just a lost cause. And yet we're starting to incorporate that through our politics as we've talked about the inflation, as we're taught we're gonna get into some other subjects. So you're running for Congress in District 18. And, you know, I want to make sure that you have a chance right now to talk to your, the voters of why is it that they need to listen and vote for you? What would you say? So born and raised in a community that's very rural, right? It's, it's limited in resources, ag, but by default, very proud community. We love our region. We love what it means to, to uh, you know, I consider it my beautiful backyard, which is basically South County area of Hollister, mm-hmm. Pinnacles. We have a national park. We have we are the salad bowl, right? Or, you know, yeah. the, the Salinas Valley area. There's so much beautiful elements to our district. But the, the, the hard part about politics, and it is the reality, is you basically have an individual, when they get elected, nine times out of 10, they're going to pay attention to the majority population, right? The density of their district. And this district is officially, which has been the concern, which is why we did the press conference is that now you're going to have someone that's from Silicon Valley that basically has, has got nothing but support from the Silicon Valley elites. If you look at her donors. Uh, and so she's going to be, you know, she's 74 year, years old, God bless her. But I don't see her having the energy or the time. She's already been very well known to be focused in Washington, D.C., not actually coming to the district and paying attention to its needs. And that influence is by default going to shadow the, the southern southern part of South San Jose. Right. So I want to be a strong representative active in my district. I want to represent the, the small communities. I'm actually mm-hmm. doing a lot of events in the small regions because 
I think there's a shared interest in the Tri-Valley area. I think there's a shared interest in all four counties, but that, you know, that shared interest is, like I said, rural, it's agricultural, right? There's, there's an urbanization element, which becomes dangerous to our community because then you have, a, you know, ultimately uh, a, by default city type of issues. And then you also have the, the lack of ability of a local guy like me as a county supervisor fighting off to a certain extent or fighting for uh, revenues to be able to manage our infrastructure, to manage our resources. Mm-hmm. We struggle to keep people on staff. We don't have the ability to, to pay like, like other counties do. So that takes a solid effort to create a sense of, of, uh, of basically uh, em- empowerment in the region and to unify the region and to represent that region in a way that's going to basically strengthen the whole district. Cause I also believe South San Jose has that sentiment of rural uh, it used they used to have a lot of uh, apricot orchards. Yeah, um, they certainly do, and, and cherries and everything else like that. So I want to be the great unifier of the whole district. I do not believe my opponent is that way. I'm bootstrapped. I'm hardworking. I want to empower, give people opportunity over entitlements. I think opportunity opens up the, uh, just an immense amount of of not just individual wealth, but it creates just this opportunity for the region to prosper. And a unifying sentiment is literally what it's going to take to unify our whole country, let alone region by region. Yeah. And I have so we're going to we're going to start with District 18 right now. Now, who is your opponent? Zoe Lofgren. Okay. And she is an elitist. She's supported by the um, Silicon Valley, you know, the Zuckerbergs of the world, and, and all of those people that are working so hard to destroy our country. You, on the other hand, you represent the working man and woman, mm-hmm. which in South San Jose, there's a ton of them. That's right. So the reality is the needs of the working class people like myself are the same in San Jose, South San Jose, as they are in King City, as they are in Salinas, Hollister, Morgan Hill, Gilroy, and the other areas that you're going to be representing. And so what we need people to do is we need the working man and woman to stand up and vote for you. That's right. We need to recognize the vast majority because we represent 80%, 90% of the people in your district. Correct. And we're being pushed down by those 10%. Right. And the funding that is behind your opponent is all the 1%. And they certainly don't even have a clue what our lives are like. That's right. Well, and if you think about it, um, as my experience by God's grace has gained me is a lot of policies, all policies really are top down. Mm-hmm. We've, we've learned that policymaking starts at the top and the impacts at the, at the ground floor, at the individual level, uh, whether it's an industry or the ag community, the farmers, you end up having negative impacts, which the, according to a policy might define as in a good, but in reality, the actual impact is not good. It's right. opposite. So my point is, is I have a different mindset. I have a bottom up mindset. I want to, you know, my goal is, like I said, is to represent everybody within the, the middle class and, and work hard to make sure that this district understands that I'm going to be that policymaker to make sure that I actually listen to the, to the, um, the, the local level uh, elected officials, mm-hmm. right? To, I want to make sure that I'm talking to county supervisors in, in all my counties. I want to make sure that if I have a policy that we vet it through the local process, I learned, I mean, it's funny because I just came back from NACO, National Association of Counties. That's basically a membership organization that our Board of Supervisors is a part of. 
um, or our, our county is a part of, and and it's basically a bunch of county supervisors throughout the country mm-hmm. meeting together, li- learning about federal issues as they apply at the local level. Mm-hmm. We I targeted specifically, especially because of my district being uniquely agricultural, I targeted committee meetings where there was a lot of trainings where they talked about uh, policies that, that affected land use, energy, yeah. farm, and ag. And water. And water, mm-hmm. yeah. So Waters of the U.S. was one of them. According to the Clean Water Act, the intent of the Clean Water Act is just to preserve the waterways, right, to make sure that there's not pollution and things that were damaging to health, uh, to the environment, which I 100% agree with. But what ended up happening is it, it defined waterways in a very vague way and ultimately started defining waterways as something that needed to be, to a certain extent, basically micromanaged. And by default, that means you're micromanaging farmers, you're micromanaging a lot of people, mm-hmm. you're creating a reporting process that's very complicated, cumbersome. And the implications of that, which maybe it was unintended, but the reality is, is now you have small farms going away, family farms going away. Now, you know, everything's going into a bigger corporate world. It's, it's, it's de-incentivizing the middle class, right? It's taking away the, the, the rationale, like, why would I even keep doing this for generations? I'm losing everything. I might as well sell it. And that's what's happening, right? So if you think about the beauty of our fertile soil, our land, you know, we're, we're very high ag productive. Salinas Valley, I did a whole two and a half hour tour with, with, uh, the Monterey Farm Bureau president, Norm Groot. And I learned a lot. And basically in this region is such precious land. There's good stewards of the land, which are our farmers. And instead of empowering them, we're basically taking away their incentives and we're basically restricting them with heavy regulations, cumbersome, something that I firmly believe these electeds that made these policies are actually wouldn't, if they lived in that world, I guarantee you they would not have shouldered that burden. And I think that by default creates nothing but contradictions that our region just can't sustain. I think you need someone that's ready to actually engage and make sure that the policy is adopted and supported by your local electeds, by your local stakeholders, right? Mm-hmm. Your farming regions, your all your industries. And then I think you have a pragmatic and, and ultimately successful approach because whatever policy you apply, it's actually going to have a practical application at the local level. Yeah. And and in other words, one of the things that I think our Congress should be deeply involved with is recognizing this transition. You're talking about small farms, family farms, generational family farms that are being gobbled up by corporations. But the unfortunate thing that's gone on because I'm from a farming mindset. Bill Gates is one of the largest landowners in in the central United States. He has no business being anywhere near that. In Florida, the largest landowner is the Chinese. Uh, What is going on? Our farms are being, you know, stolen from the American people, the American farmer, and it's going to be a bottleneck in terms of food production because Bill Gates doesn't want that land for producing cattle or producing farm products like wheat or anything. He wants to eliminate that and return it to the weeds, I guess. And the Chinese, they're going to take their production that they do on the land and ship it overseas. That's right. Just like our president is shipping our oil reserves to China as opposed to it's the American oil reserves. So things are very, very messed up. And we have to communicate these facts to the common man. Food security, and that's got to, that has to be the broad bullet point sentiment statement to the whole region is food security is a national security issue. Yeah. Between food security and, and, and uh, energy independence, mm-hmm. those two things go hand in hand with protecting our national sovereignty, protecting us from, from threats from outside of our nation. 
And that by default means we have to learn what it means to be successful in food production. We have to learn what it means to be successful in energy production. And I think at that point in time, we have a stronger sense of national security, obviously with, with a, a strong ability to, uh, you know, peace through strength. I believe in Ronald Reagan's way of, of, of managing our military. We're, we're, we're starting to break them down. I've heard that they're actually, they've lost like 30% of their, um, of their, um, the people that have signed up to join the military. They don't want to do the CRT thing. Yeah. And there's just too much things that are damaging them because of the CRT stuff. And we're getting into issues that are not actually solving things. It's almost seems to be an intentional breakdown of the, you know, the sentiment and the sovereignty of our nation. And, and the last thing on farms before we move on is the major constriction on all farmers here in California, especially San Joaquin Valley, is the the re, the turning down the faucet of the waters. Hundred percent. And you know what's sad is that we drain off eighty percent of the natural rain and snow pack into the ocean, and look at for uh, Lake Mead. I mean, it's practically a drop in the bucket I now. Just mentioned, I was just thinking about that. And, and and so what you as a congressman need to do, and thinking you, individuals, males and females, we need to stand up and fight for water. Because if the farmers can't get the water, farmers can't grow. Right. If the farmers can't grow, you and I can't eat. And the prices of that food stocks is going to go up tremendously as it already has. And it's only getting worse because in California, we live in a one party state right. and that one party is not for the people. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah so there's definitely a, a conditioning element to what's going on with water. It's hard not to say that. Because the reality is, is that's what I'm seeing. I just did a roughly three-hour tour of the Pajaro Valley watershed with with a good friend, Herman Garcia. He's he's involved with cheer. He he's naturally uh, a guy that loves our region and wants to preserve it. And uh, his goal basically was to educate me in that three-hour tour as far as understanding the Pajaro Valley watershed. So as I went out there, one of the things he strongly pointed out was it was one uh, dam, right? It sounds it's I believe there's like ten dams within the Santa Clara region. Mm-hmm. One of them, um, the only one that was actually at eighty cent eighty percent capacity, was the the Uvis Dam. He actually oversees it, and it's funny because now we're officially declaring, right? I believe our governor just did uh, a drought, and by default, it's it's you know. In, Titled a national, you know, I'm sorry, a statewide emergency. Mm-hmm. So by default, that means there's obviously certain functionalities that the government gets involved in with with preserving uh, water and, and maintaining our water uh, table. So that, but bottom line is, is then all of a sudden he's educating me that that dam is at 80 percent because he's managed it and he's actually seen how there's been a. a a release of water, bad water management practices, mismanagement, mismanagement. Mm-hmm. And you, you had, uh, he, I believe they're at about 40% or 25% of water in uh, some of these dams. And uh, it just points to the reality. Fast forward. I just had a Tuesday board meeting as a board of supervisor. I'm actually the chair of the board. And I had a, I would say a pretty, uh, you know, colorful dialogue with uh, our, our local guy, Sean Novak, who, who manages the water. And I, I argued the reality is now we're actually talking about, restricting uh, residents from watering their lawn every twice a a week, which they'll gladly do using positive shutoff valves, which I don't know who knows what that even is. Uh, Bottom line is, is I I argued, I said, look, if you're releasing water and then you're telling the residents to now manage or living with less water, then maybe we should actually 
you know, Stop be, be yeah, pouring it be down good the drain. Stewards. Yeah. How about we actually lead by example and manage our water right, and then we can tell other people to learn how to manage their water right. Oh no, it's not about them. It's always about our suffering. So I want to move on to another subject, but unfortunately, I've got one minute. I've got to do a quick break for our sponsors. So you're listening to Business Sense Radio, and we will be right back with Peter Hernandez. You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering, yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753-7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at alliancetrains.com. All right. Thank you very much. We're back with Peter Hernandez, and we're going to shift gears right now. And I wanted to bring up the fact that right now, Hispanics, the support for the Biden administration is actually at 19%. And what they are saying, what the Hispanic community is saying, is that they are not happy with the double price of gas. They're not happy with food prices up 50%. I believe the the communities as a whole is recognizing the fact that the public school system is failing their children because educators are not teaching reading or writing or math or spelling, and they're not providing job-centric skills. But in addition to all of that, at the schools, it seems that the schools are very happy with the radicalizing agendas of gender dysphoria, critical race theory, and other very, very unhealthy things. It seems to me, knowing Hispanic communities and families for 50 years, I don't see how this fits in. I know that the word Latinx, the polls say that most Latinos don't even like the term, and they're basically turned off. I mean, what's your take on this stuff that I just shared? It's a desperate move by certain folks to be able to try to redefine the culture of the Latino community. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is they don't know the culture because they don't live in our culture, right? Yep. They're not getting into the grassroots and talking to our folks. They're trying to get them to change their ways, which historically has, I mean, it's embedded in who we are. It's just like Catholicism, right? It's who mm-hmm. we are. So the reality is, is it's an insult to the average individual. They, I would say most people will probably say, what is that? because they won't even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they put it in documents and different things, but that really does nothing to actually change the mindset. And gladly so that, that we, I would say we're a very proud people. So we don't just change just for change's sake, right? Yeah. It has to be rational to us. But the, yeah, the, the bottom line is, is as the Latino community, we're, we're very proud people. And what we're seeing with policy, right? It's funny because there was always the sentiment thinking, well, if you're Latino, you must be Democrat. The reality, and there, there was a, uh, 
a level of truth to that, right? Because it, a lot of people would just lean into saying, well, the Democrats were a lot more sensitive to the to Latino population. They cared about minorities. So there definitely was kind of this, this affinity to, to wanting to respect, uh, you know, what, what democracy supposedly was the guise of the Democrat party. Yeah. Right. But now things are shifted, right? It's kind of like going to a restaurant and, you know, you go to it, you like the, the, the business owner, very nice people. They serve you pretty decent food. So you enjoy it. So you go once in a while and, uh, and then all of a sudden you start going back and you realize things are changing. And eventually it's like, yeah, this food didn't taste like it used to. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. Maybe they changed the recipe. I don't know. Eventually you're walking in and you're like, yeah, I can't, I can't keep going back to this place because the food isn't really as good. Now it's gotten to the place where you're like, you know what? I feel like I'm getting food poisoning every time I go. Yeah. I feel like you have policy poisoning with all of these, these things that they're doing that's just as garbage and it's a waste of time. And the more we think about it, the more we realize actually they're dividing our community. There's arbitrary laws, right? At one point in time, it's like there was an expectation that you had consistency, equality under the law. That's no longer the case. And even if we, you know, that's why I say we don't give enough credit to to the residents, to the Latino communities, to those folks that are saying, yeah, I'm living my life. I'm doing what I can and working. And uh, they're just taking it for granted. But at the end of the day, they're starting to see the writing on the wall. The, the, the Latinos are starting to wake up and they're saying, you know what, this doesn't it just doesn't pass the smell test anymore. I just can't do it. I just had a conversation with uh, a cousin who basically was a staunch Democrat, Obama loving, staunch Democrat, long and short. At the end of our conversation, he's like. Like feeling really uncomfortable. He's like, Peter, it's almost weird telling you this, but I think I'm going to have to vote Republican this year, which is the weirdest thing for me to even say. Mm-hmm. But it's just our, com- our country's falling apart and I can't, keep, I can't keep falling into the same mindset. Well, the reality, what I want people to recognize is the Democrat Party is not the John F. Kennedy Democrat Party of the 60s, who stood in the gap for Cesar Chavez and the Farm Workers Union. You know, in those days, because I was in the fields in those days, we were using the short handle hoe. That was one of the first attacks. And that thing is a horrible tool. I know. That party no longer exists. So even though they're using the same name, they are not the Democrat Party that our community voted positively for 10, 15, 20 years ago. <clears throat> you know, the Obamacare wasn't anything like Obama as what they tried to sell us for. It looks like we're running out of time. I can't believe that. Peter, we need to have you back on board here I love in the, the near future. And uh, so I want to just thank everybody for listening to us today. We had um, Peter Hernandez, who is running for Congress in District 18 in the state of California. And I want everybody to vote for him because it is a win-win for the community, no matter where you're from. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you, Edward. Thank you for having me. Be sure to join us again next week at this very same time on this radio station for another edition of Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. seating was a paid commercial program and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff or management.